Now, uh, we've been talking um, uh, from the book of James, uh, and uh, we've seen, you can see, Faith That Works is the, is the title of this series because James is a very practical book, uh, and he's talking about uh, faith in action, faith that isn't just, what do they say, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk, really applying a faith in God to life on earth. We're connected, we've got our, our heart and our hopes and our future in heaven, but in the meantime, we're not just going to live life without God, we're not just going to think about Christian things occasionally, it should really impact the way we live every day, our relationship with God, our faith in Christ. And so we've been talking about some practical aspects of how our faith is seen through uh, our trials, troubles, tribulations. I spoke about that a few weeks ago. And then Byron preached a great message a couple of weeks ago about our faith. The next passage of chapter 1 and then into chapter 2 talks about temptations and how our faith is shown through how we deal with temptation. And then Eleanor Tankard preached last week about faith and works, I hope. That was the brief. I heard it was good, but that was, uh, that was uh, uh, you know, covering that passage in chapter 2 that includes verse 17, that famous verse that says, Faith without works is dead. And so uh, it's, again, not just talking about faith, but it's going to be seen through what we do. Well, today I want to see how faith is seen through our words. Because we're going to read all of chapter 3 and see how this is a real key part of that chapter. Have you ever had that experience where you've said something and you immediately regret it? Is it only me? No. You know when you say something and then everything becomes like a movie in slow motion. You see, it's almost like you can see the words going. It's like, no! And the words going, ah! And it's too late! And you said it. It was maybe a rash word of, of anger. Or, or gossip, or something thoughtless, and the damage is done. It's like, ah! And that person's upset, or, you've, you've, or you feel really bad, or you look really bad because you've said something really dumb. I think we all know that feeling. So uh, if that relates to you, and I think it does, at some point or another, then, then listen up, because what we're going to look at and study here can help you. Let's read all of chapter 3. Uh, and then we're going to go back and walk through it. Excuse me, I'm just going to drink some water, which I am apparently allowed to have in here because it's only water, not coffee, not food. Not mentioning any names out of me, uh, but I saw one of our deacons in here this morning with a coffee, and uh, he realised that it was just a terrible, terrible sin. But. Um, So, um, now, James chapter 3, verse 1, we read right through to verse 18. I'm reading from the NLT, New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame 
of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. You can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honourable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. But jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish, selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Well, those last five verses, I'm not sure if we're going to have time to really get into what that's talking about, but in your connect group and in your own personal time, I really encourage you to read through that, talking about God's wisdom, God's ways, and, and how it, it talks about selfish ambition a couple of times there. And uh, we can all suffer from that, and it really does make us suffer uh, as opposed to going in God's ways. But let's go back up to verse 1 and then walk through this and see uh, what God has to say. Um, it starts off there saying, Brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. In other words, God really values teaching and preaching in his church. It's really an important, serious deal. It's not something to treat flippantly or casually, whether you're sitting under it and learning and listening, or especially if you're called to teach and preach. It's very sobering to read that as a preacher. To think, wow. As I said, it just shows the importance that God places on, on preaching of his word in, in the church. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've made some of the best decisions of my life while I've been sitting in church under the preaching. And it may not even be in response to the preaching. It's, there's something about the submission and the humility and the open heart and the teachability of saying, yes, I'm going to rock up and I'm going to put myself in a place where someone who's hopefully been praying and studying the Word and studying over the Word of God, praying over the Word and bringing something, they're not perfect, then I'm not going to... I'm going to still sift and sort and study the scriptures and I'm not going to be gullible and ah, just you know, do whatever they say. But it, I'm, going to, I'm going to allow my heart to be challenged. I'm going to listen to what they've got to say. I'm not just going to be stubborn and, and put blinkers on and say, this is the way I'm going to live my life and I've got it all sorted. It's pretty sad. I've met a lot of, I hate to say it, I'm middle-aged. It sounds so old, doesn't it? But, you know, I've got a lot of mates my age 
40s, 50s, put the two together, but I'm probably in the latter category. Uh, uh, and they just got their blinkers on. It's the way I do life, and that's the way it is. It's like, really? You know, are you so smart that you've got nothing else to learn? Really? You know? Oh, yeah, I went to school. That's what I learned all I need to know. And so, you know, isn't it good for us to keep learning and growing? And we do that partly, not completely, but partly. part of that is the discipline of coming into the house of God. Of course, we worship, we fellowship, we drink great coffee, you know, but... We also learn. We also submit and, and, and flow along with what God's saying. And so that's a, that's a good thing. And as I said, God values it highly enough to warn those who are preaching, hey, you're going to be judged for what you've got to say. So this is in the house of God. It's a big deal. Then look at verse 2. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So here's the introductory statement to this whole passage about the tongue and its power and about the challenges that we've all got to get it right with our words. It shows the level of self-control that's needed to use words correctly. Because it says, you know, uh, if we can control our tongues perfectly, we'd be completely, we'd be perfect. And, and we control everything else in our lives. So, if and when we can control our tongue, it's going to help us get control over other areas of other parts of our life. So it's, it's a big deal. Then we read on. Verse uh, 3 and 4 and 5 says, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. So here's the development of the power of the tongue and, and how words can both either be productive or destructive. And there's three analogies you notice there in those three verses. The bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder on the ship, and the spark that gets a bushfire going. Now... They're all small things, aren't they? But they're all amazingly powerful. You know, if you're brave enough to go sailing with Craig Hewitt, you'll know. Uh, and I have survived and been. Uh, I remember being with someone else in his boat who was freaking out because the boat starts to tip. You know, and that's part of the deal. It's okay. You know, you're in a sailing boat. It, it tips up because the wind's blowing a little bit to one side. And uh, as long as he's got that little rudder happening, it's, it's going to go. Even if it tips up, it's still going to go where he wants it to go. And, of course, that can freak people out if they're not into sailing and then they find the boat tipping. Uh, what I think is worse, if someone is used to sailing and then they get on a motorbike and uh, they think that they need to lean against the tip. So this happened to me many years ago. I took, uh, before I was married, a young lady, not this young lady. Uh, she was not worthy. I didn't marry her. I married her. But... Uh, She's a nice young lady, and I took her for a ride on my motorbike, and she was really into sailing. Her family was big into sailing. And uh, she got on the back, and we went down the road, and I tip it into the first corner. And, you know, road bikes bend, lean over. And if you, I don't know, maybe, maybe hypothetically, a young man's trying to impress a girl, he's going to go hard in that corner and really lean it in, you know. And so he leans, I lean it in, and she leans the other way because the bike starts to tip. So she's used to the trapeze, you know. And I just go right across the road. I can't take the corner. Ah! It's like, okay, 
Lesson number one, just relax. Don't do anything. We've got to tip the bike. Anyway, I'm getting off my track. So, back to here. We've got a, a runner on a ship, a bit and a horse, a horse's mouth, and a tiny little spark. They're all little things. I like that, um, you've heard that African proverb that says, um, if, you if you think you're too small to make a difference, then you've never spent a night with a mosquito. You've heard that, you know, just the annoyance, the amazing power of a tiny little mosquito. And it's true of words. They're tiny little things, but they can make a huge difference. Just the words that we say. And, and they help direct our lives, like the rudder on the ship, like the bit in the horse's mouth. They steer us in a certain direction. It, whatever you talk about is, is going to largely determine where you're headed in your life. And so you get people who, you know, if you worry about your health and talk about it all the time, if you tell everyone about every ache and pain that you've got that's coming your way, that's, then you're surprisingly going to find a lot of problems in your body. It's just going to happen because you're talking about it. There's power in those words. If you find someone and they're always talking about money, then it's going to be hard for that person to get balance in their life. They're going to fret about their finances. They're going to commit too much energy and, and time towards chasing the buck, Lord Buck. And, uh, and so you get what you talk about. You get what you're focused on, what you're passionate about is what you'll talk about. And hopefully you're passionate about the Lord. Because I find if I hear people talking about the Lord, talking about how much they love Him, what they're doing in serving Him and walking with Him and how He's speaking to them when they're reading the Word and what they're learning, and I find that's a really good sign because that's where their life's heading. They're getting closer to Jesus when they're talking about Jesus. They're learning about the Word and their life's fulfilling or the promises in the Word are going to be fulfilled in their life. So whatever it is, our words are going to stimulate and determine the course and direction of our lives. Um, and then, so that's, that's really, you know, what he's referring to when he says, you know, the rudder and the, the bit in the mouth, you know, your words are, are directing things. But notice this analogy of the spark starting a fire. Again, a you know, seemingly insignificant thing, just a little spark, just that reflection on the piece of broken glass or the casual cigarette thrown out the window in summer. We know how devastating bushfires can be and, and uh, it's just relating to the, the power and sometimes destructive power of words. And the Bible has a lot to say about the power of words. Let me quote a few scriptures to you and about how careful we have to be with our words. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Isn't that amazing? You got a situation, you got some tension, you got an issue in the relationship with people, and just one gentle phrase, a soft answer, can calm it all down. Or throw petrol on the fire, you know, and it can just be like, yeah, well, what a boom, and then it's all inflated, and you're at it. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So, you know, just be careful how you're speaking. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, 
Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him do what? Keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. It benefits you if you speak well, he's saying. It's going to bless your life. In the book of Proverbs, again, 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs and Psalms, you know, there's quite a few, I'll just rattle off a few different tongues that are referred to just in the book of Proverbs and Psalms. A flattering tongue, a proud tongue, a lying tongue, a deceitful tongue, a perverted tongue, a destructive tongue, a backbiting tongue, a mischievous and wicked tongue. There's a few positives you'd be pleased to know. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, again, you can, it refers to a soft tongue, a soothing tongue, and a healing tongue. Let me read a couple more. This is David saying in Psalm 19, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That's a good prayer to pray, isn't it? That will hopefully give you a bit of control over what's coming out of your mouth. Lord, I want to speak what is acceptable in your sight. Here's something pretty sobering from the words of Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Wow. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. Because I, I think I'm in that category. And I might have to give an account, but I'm hoping he's going to forgive me. And I think he will. And then he goes, and then he goes on and says, For by your words you'll be justified. By your work, words you will be condemned. Wow. Now, of course, ultimately, we can be justified if we're proclaiming the name of Christ to be Lord and Savior. Okay, so they're the main words. No matter what other careless words you might say, you might, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to get punished or disciplined. I don't think so. But, you know, there's, there's rewards in heaven, right? So there's, there's levels of stuff that's going to go down. But we rely on the grace of God by faith. Yeah, it's not talking about, well, if I don't say the right word, oh, I'm going to burn forever. And, you know. So we are... We're saved and justified by our words of faith in Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Finally, Proverbs 18, verse 20 to 21. And there's many other scriptures, but I'm just throwing these out. Uh, you can jot them down or go to Connect Group, because Barbara Scott will have jotted everything down and probably written a brief commentary on everyone as well. And they'll be there ready tomorrow night. Proverbs 18, verse 20 to 21. From the, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. Did you hear that? This is amazing. It's not just the work of your hands that produces, you know, material possessions and finances and physical things. It's actually the words of your mouth as well. Isn't that amazing? You can work I've met people who work hard and they end up with very little to show for it. Holes in their pockets. And, they won't, and it's the way they're speaking. They're complaining. They're whinging about their job. They're complaining about the taxes. They're, they're, they're holding on. They're, they're not generous with their, their money and their mouth. They're, and then other people are proclaiming faith. They're praising God. They're trusting in, in, in God and they're preaching about His provision and the promises of God. And, and they may not have a big income, but they're blessed because they're they're being blessed, what does it say? From the fruit of their mouth, their stomach is filled. Amazing. So, uh, and then, of course, the very next verse is this famous passage, verse 21 of Proverbs 18. The tongue has the power of life and death. 
and those who love it will eat its fruit. There, it's powerful stuff. And when we read on, we see more about the destructive power that the tongue has. Uh, in verse uh, 6, right down, look, the next verse it says, The tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. Sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Wow. So here is more on the problem. And the problem is twofold. It tells us here, number one, that our words can cause a lot of damage. It says it's a world of wickedness. It can corrupt your life. It's evil, it's full of deadly poison, it's capable of cursing people. Secondly, it points out again how hard it is to control. And as a result, we're all capable of damaging and causing pain to other people with our words. Because it says, verse 7, people can tame all kinds of wild animals, but no one can tame the tongue. Isn't that amazing? Like, mankind has made some amazing discoveries. You know, there's inventions and, and all kinds of developments in, and breakthroughs in, in fields of science and medicine and engineering over the years. And yet for all our achievements, nearly 2,000 years after James writes these words, nothing's changed regarding the tongue. We're still struggling to control the tongue. There's no drug, invention, technique, you know, cognitive behaviour, whatever educational developments, whatever it may be that man's got, people are still finding it hard to harness the tongue to use it only for good. And then in verse 10, we're told, just in case we didn't realise it, that this is a problem. And th but then we're given an insight into God's answer. Look, it says in verse 10, So blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers, this is not right. You'll agree. This is not good news, <laughs> but here's a, a, an indication towards the good news. He says, does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So we have two examples here from nature that show that the source of something is really important. It's, this, the source is going to affect what's produced. You know, you, you want figs, well, don't go to a grapevine. You, you want olives, well, don't grow a fig tree. You, what do you want? You want olives, then you need an olive tree at, at its roots. It's got to be an olive tree. And if you want fresh water, well, don't go to the spring that's, that's salty. So the implication there is that if we need to deal properly with our tongue, we've got to get to the heart of the matter, which is our heart. We've got to, we've got to see it in it. Our thoughts, our mind, our heart, our soul, our spirit, something deep down inside eventually is going to come out in our words. And you can use a certain degree of discipline and just shut up about saying the wrong thing and just determine to speak the right words up to a point. But eventually, what's inside is going to come out, isn't it? Right? Jesus said, you're going to be known by your fruit. And part of the fruit of your life are the words that you speak. Just like that analogy is referred to there, saying a fig tree, well, it can't produce olives, it's going to produce figs, because at its 
poor, it's a fig tree. That's what it does. That's its job, just producing fruit. So if you don't like what you're speaking about, what you're hearing, you've got to do more than just say, oh, I won't say that again. I'll try not to do that. I've got to. How many times have you done that? I've just got to not speak like that. I've got to try to dump myself in. We're going to have a heart change so that what's in here is just naturally going to come out and what is in here is what we want to hear out here, coming out of our mouth. And so we've got to think, well, what is going on inside my heart? What's going on inside my mind? Because part of the fruit of my life is my words. What I'm producing, what I'm giving up for people around me to taste is in my words. So I need to ask myself, do, do people like my fruit? And unfortunately, for me personally, I've got too many family members around here to get away with saying, oh, yeah, well, I'm just very confident, you know, what's in my heart's wonderful, I always speak good. You hear me preach on so I preach on this all the time. I'm full of faith, I'm perfect, I speak well. Oh, not perfect, God's perfect, but I'm close to it, you know. Like I said, there's, there's too many family members around here for me to get away with that because they'll tell me, they'll tell you, if you like, you know. <laughs> but sometimes the fruit that's produced from my mouth isn't so sweet. It's a little sour. You know, it might be words of impatience. You know, Bethany, you put the light on again. You know, little things in my uh, kids. You know, and, um, and so words that, that, that taste of frustration or, or anger or impatience. Well, enough about me. What about you? I'm sure you've got your issues as well. You know? uh, and hopefully there are times when we do speak sweetly and speak full of faith and speak something fun because that's also in our heart. What we've got to do is, is, you know, as John prayed, I must decrease, he must increase because we need some outside intervention, don't you think, to, to actually fix up what's going on. If you think about, you know, what's going on in your heart, it's not all going to be perfect all the time. But whatever it is is going to come out what, what you're longing for, what you're concerned about, what you're dreaming about, what you're looking forward to, wishing for, these are the things that we end up speaking about. And our emotional state will affect how we speak about it. So if you're worried or stressed or lazy or tired or doubtful or angry or anxious, or, then, then that's how you're going to speak. But if you're at peace, if you're walking by faith, if you've got a spring in your step, uh, step and you're full of joy and you're, you know, got faith and hope and love in your heart, then that's going to come out seasoning your speech. And that's what people are going to taste in your words. So we need a heart operation. And we need someone who knows all about our heart to do that operation. And it's, his name is Dr. Jesus here. Yeah? Because he comes and he saves us, and then he sanctifies us through the work of the Holy Spirit, ongoing, so that we can become more and more like him in our thoughts, in our attitudes, and of course in our words. So, so we, we've got to come to God and ask for his help. And, and you know, when you do, well, that's the single most powerful place of using your words, because that's called prayer, talking to God. In prayer and in worship, how powerful are those words? Because you've been given the privilege and the power of prayer and the opportunity to praise and worship and bless God. That we, you know that. Oh, yeah, right, sure, yeah. But think about it. 
You know, God himself, he's allowing us to come close. He's given us the, the authority of the name of Jesus that we can petition heaven itself. That's pretty cool. It's quite amazing. We, we can pray prayers of humility and repentance and praise to God that draws us close to our Father in heaven, that builds a close relationship with him. We can, we can pray prayers of, of, that are proclaiming the promises of God, and that's going to shatter the works of the enemy, temptation that the devil brings, the hold that he wants to put in our lives. That can be broken through the power of prayer and the proclamation of God's promises, and it will carry us along in God's will, God's ways. In, in God's word, fulfilling his word. And then we, you know, we can sing the praises of God like we do here every week and in your own time. If you're gifted and you can play a musical instrument, if you're not, then you put a CD on or play, get your playlist full of some Christian worship music and, and sing along. And, and, and that's words that are powerful. I remember Chris Fulson who many years ago was the music director at our mother church, what is now Oxford Falls. And then he moved to America and has had a musical career over there, very gifted songwriter. And I remember him telling me he loved to write songs and then they would sing them in the church. He was the main songwriter and all the, if you look back at the old albums of Christian City Church back in the 80s and early 90s, you'll see a lot of the songs were written by him. And... Uh, and he said he'd love it. He'd write songs and then they'd sing them in church and he would see people change as they sang the songs because he would write words of faith. In fact, I remember that song, I Walk By Faith. And, and I don't know if you're old enough to remember that. And I remember the first time I heard it, I thought, this is a stupid song. It's got no tune. I walk by faith. Yeah, people would just sing, I walk by faith. And he'd write songs like this and he said he'd love it. He'd be up there. He's a real cool dude. But usually, aren't guitarists usually cool? Kind of annoying, you know, you're kind of jealous of them. You think, I want to be cool, I want to be like Chris Stewart. And Zach, I've talked before about he just does that rock and roll kind of thing where he just times it. You think, he's gonna he's a long way from the mic. The next verse is coming. What's he gonna do? But the light second, bam, there he is, right on the mic. Oh wow. Zach, you know? I'm sure he's practicing, but where did he get the time doing a degree in engineering, getting married? No, I mean, he must still stay up late, probably an hour every week, you know, just like trying. How many times, poof, hit the mic in the eye, oh, too low to, but he gets practicing, and then, you know, there it is, oh, you know, and then that's has got the rock, and the, and the leg, he's got the leg swing, you know, it's quite the cool. Hey, just something funny, nothing to do with the Bible, can you handle this? The Edge. You've heard of The Edge? He's the guitarist for U2, you know, famous band, rock band U2. He just fell off the edge of the stage. He was thinking yesterday, he was playing, and, and he had his eyes closed, and he just walked right off the edge into the crowd. So, no, so I, I thought of how I can weave that in and have some meaning. I couldn't, but it's, I think it's a funny story. But he's okay. He pleased to know. He's okay. He's got millions of dollars to pay for the back operation. No, 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 his back's fine. It's not, it wasn't... He, he, uh, let's get back to the Bible quickly. I don't know what I was talking about. Something about Zach, cool people, music, singing. Chris Olsen wrote the song, and so he would say, he would he, he would write a song, like I walk with that, and he said he would see people, they'd come into church, maybe someone's dragged them in, or they've had a bad day, or they're just a long way from God, and they've been in church. Uh, I walk by faith, and I said, 
uh, you know, and he said he could see changes in life because of the words that they're singing. And people all sing it. It's like, oh, okay, I walk by faith. I walk by and they're singing, you know, and so the power of words, he, and he said he'd be just up there playing away, just thinking, that is so cool, that guy out there, you know. Ten minutes ago, there's a million miles from God, now he's just worshipping the Lord, and, and then they get into a worship song, you know, and it'd be like, oh, God, you know, and, and, and the preacher hasn't even come, you know, no theology, just the presence of God. You know, so you don't have to intellectualize and rationalize completely all the ways of God. Ah, you just feel the call of God and, and words of praise draw you close to him. So, as I said, the last few verses of that chapter, I'm going to leave that. You can read that. Uh, it just talks more about what's going on inside us, very important, and how it's going to affect how we live, how we speak, and then how we affect other people's lives as a result. Let's just finish to remember by remembering Jesus, the Bible says, is the author and perfecter of our faith. Yeah? And he is the one who we need to work on our heart to help us speak words of faith, to live with our speech seasoned with grace, to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done for us and to use the power of our tongue not to bring harm or hurt, but to bring the presence and the goodness of God and to speak that will bring glory to God. Yeah? And, uh, and we do that, as I said, in prayer, in worship, and then hopefully in our conversation and our words into other people's lives. 